to the book of Joel, also in the handbook. And I got to tell you, this was a, uh, this was a challenging uh, message for me. Um, I spent the weekend in, in, in Louisiana this week with my parents, was able to speak at an anniversary service at their church. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a little low on gas right now. <laughs> uh, I forgot what a black church is like. <laughs> Five hours on Sunday of service. Five hours. <laughs> I, I said I need to get back home. So uh, with that said, we're going to go ahead and get started. <laughs> uh, so Joel, the second in order of the books of the minor prophets, uh, was a prophet of Yahweh God who lived during the time of, well, who knows? We don't know. Uh, Joel doesn't say. He mentions no king to give his readers any frame of reference. Uh, the Hebrew order of the books of the Bible puts Joel's message between Hosea and Amos. An early date of about 835 to 786 uh, B.C. is suggested. So whatever the time frame was in Joel's mind, timing was totally unimportant uh, in his narrative. And what he describes in his book was probably the most devastating agricultural and financial losses in all of Judea's history. I believe he was more concerned about getting his message out than where, we, where he fit in in the history timeline. Judah... The setting of the book is devastated by a vast horde of locusts. This invasion of locusts destroys everything. The fields of grain, the vineyards, the gardens, and the trees. Joel symbolically describes the locusts as a marching human army and views all of this as divine judgment coming against the nation for her sins. I have a quick video I want to show you just to kind of give you an idea to, to set the scene of, of what the impact of locusts can do on a, a particular, to particular area. Uh, so with that said, we'll go ahead and get the video started. For three quarters of an hour, a giant swarm of locusts about 15 kilometers long crosses Malagasy's National Route 7. This road is normally popular with tourists who come for the breathtaking views. But today they're observing a natural disaster the plague of locusts, which has already destroyed half of the island's crops. They have created a lot of damage. The pastures and also the rice and the corn, which is about to be harvested. According to experts, there are currently 100 swarms across Madagascar, made up of about 500 billion locusts. And they get through around 100,000 tons of vegetation. Every single day. There's already not much Three years, but those haven't yet given the green lights. 
you guys to kind of think about something. They, they mentioned something in that video. Uh, they're waiting on 15 million dollars of aid to be released to try something. To try stump something. So the devastation that these little half-inch little bugs can cause is tremendous. So I want you to put yourself in Joel's shoes for a minute. Um, Prophet Joel, not Pastor Joel. Um, so if he's, he's out and, and the books really kind of portray Joel as a priest, and he's looking, and he sees this heading to them. And he knows that there's nothing that they can do. There's absolutely nothing that they can do. So he tries to just go and gather everybody that he can. He grabs the priests. He grabs all of the, the elders and, and every family says, gather everybody and bring them over to the temple. Get them into the temple because there's nothing that we can do to save our crops. There's nothing we can do to save anything that we have uh, and, and for this coming invasion of, of what it looks like is going to be something that's going to be a long-lasting issue uh, that they're going to have to deal with. Um, and they didn't prepare for it. They wasn't, they wasn't even looking for, for uh, anything that, that this would, something like this would happen. Uh, their, their crops were, it was described that uh, it was like the Garden of Eden. That's how beautiful and lush, they, they had it uh, back then. But because they had turned themselves away from God, Bible says that God has sent a swarm of locusts to go and take everything that they had. So looking at, look here, it says, here they come. Joel 1, 2 through 4 says, Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Have such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it. And let your children tell their children, and their children to another generation. What the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts has eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the hopping locusts has eaten. And what the hopping, hop, hopping locusts left, the destroying locusts has eaten. And then down in Joel 2, verse 1 through 3, it says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is, like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has, has never been before nor will, will be again after them through the years of all generation. Fire devour, devours before them, and before them a flame burns. The land is like a garden of Eden. Before them... But behind them, a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. But what he's describing here is, as the locust comes, everything is lush and green. And as they pass, everything is dead. There's nothing left. It's brown. It looks like Texas in August. It's just terrible. Uh, and they have nothing, absolutely nothing to fall back on. So a locust is harmless by itself, or even a group of 50. 
The danger of locusts lie when exceptional environment conditions produce lush foliage and excellent breeding conditions. So it says that females will dig a hole, a, a barrel, and lay 65,000 to 75,000 eggs on the, under the ground. So what happens is, is the swarming locusts come. They lay the eggs. They eat up everything that they can, devour everything up the, that they, they can. And after the swarming locust has left, the eggs lay. After the eggs lay, then you have a whole nother um, process or a whole nother, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, group that comes up out of the ground. And they come in, in different stages. And what that does is they are able to go ahead and continue, even thing that is growing after the swarming locust is left, they continue to be able to destroy the crops that are there. When the locust invasions arrive to greedily devour everything in sight, a mere matter of hours, there's no stopping it. So at this time, Israel had become a sinful nation to the point of they didn't rely on God for wisdom and guidance. The Bible states that God used the swarming locusts to call them to repentance. Now, back in 2008, I had a very, very good job living a cush life. Um, in 2008, when the market crashed and everything kind of went, went to crap, uh, everything just went down the drain, I lost my job. I lost a job of $150,000 a year to nothing in over, in overnight. Big house we had just bought. And at the point to where we were going to lose everything, our life had changed. Now, at that point, I don't think, I, I, I know God didn't, allowed it to ha happen to me, but the way I was living, my mind wasn't on God, I wasn't paying my tithes, I wasn't doing the things that I should be doing in order to be able to uh, honor him and what he has given and blessed me and my family. Um, so with that said, now my focus needed to be turned back to where it needed to be. It needed to go back onto him and, and focus on him I wasn't leading my family as a spiritual leader as, as God has called me, had called me to be. I had ran and ran and ran and didn't want to do what, what, what God said he wanted me to do. And, and, and having all of that stuff that I had and, and was relying on money and, and the things of life, uh, the luxuries of life, I turned my focus away from where he wanted it to be. God cannot honor that if my focus is not in honoring him. He can't, he can't honor that. So it says, can you hear me now? And I, I took this out of the message Bible. It says, because uh, I think it, it gives a clear picture. It says, and also you priests, put on your robes and join the outcry. You who lead people in worship, lead them in layman, which is passionate sign of grief. Spend the night dressed in gun sacks. You servants of my God, nothing's going, on the place, nothing's going on in this place of worship. No offering, no prayers, nothing. Declare a holy fast. Call a special meeting. Get the leaders together. Round up everyone in the country. Get them into God's sanctuary for serious prayer to God. Now I want you to kind of put yourself again in Joel's shoes. He's looking at these people gathering all these people and bringing them in into the, the temple. And one of the things that I think Joel runs through Joel's mind is, 
I've never seen these people step foot in the church in the temple before. I've never seen these people honor God the way that they should honor God. So with this disaster that is taking place right now, this was the only time that these people would be able to turn themselves and now be in a temple to give God the honor that he so deserved. This is the only time that they're going to be able to hear what God has to, to say to them. And, you know, so it, it's kind of really dawned on him that uh, how far uh, the children of Israel have turned their backs on God. You know, how many times in our life we're using the, the luxuries of life, as I said earlier, uh, and, and take our attention away from what God has called us to be? Uh, how many times that we have more obligations than to come here and sit uh, and, and, and hear what God has to hear for, uh, has to give you? Um, you know, we got ball schedules. We got uh, work schedules. We got all these things that can keep our focus off of where we need to be. As I mentioned a few Sundays ago, there's an alignment issue. There's an alignment issue. When your alignment is not right, we get, we get pulled to the left, we get pulled to the right of different distractions and different things that can pull us away from what God has called us to be. Uh, our kids' schedule, our work schedule. Uh, well, I've been working all winter, it's time for, me, for some me time. Stuff like that. We need to be able to make sure that our alignment stays focused where God has called us to be. And God, the Bible said that he is a jealous God. This is what he wants from us. He wants our focus on him. And the, the beauty of it is when we focus on him and everything that he has for us is now open for us. It's now given, for, given to us. Restoration, Job 2, 25 and 27. It says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I had sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And my people will, shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. So these results of this restoration will be both physical and spiritual. Physically, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Spiritually, they will praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrous with, with you. Now going back to my story back in 2008 when, when, when I lost everything, I have never felt closer to God than in that time of, of, of loss in my life. Um, we all have, have, have been in a position or in a situation where it, whether it's a loved one that you have lost, if it's a job that you have lost, if it's a marriage that may have, have uh, broken up, whatever the case may be, that time when you are focused on him is the time that you feel the closest to him. It's the time where he can, you can really hear what he has to say for you, has to say to you. I, I, w during that time for me, the opportunity was for me to be able to come and move to Texas. Now again, I told you that I, I was one that was running from my calling. I was not where I felt, well, where he felt God wanted, was calling me to. 
So I thought, okay, we can come to Texas. This is my opportunity to come to Texas. I can fish all year round. I can have just, I can, it can just be great. No, no state taxes or whatever it may be. And then I found the church. And God has grown me in the last six years more than I have in all my life. I'm a Pentecostal preacher's son. I'm the oldest of six kids. We have church for five hours. <laughs> so I knew what it was to be, to be in God's presence. I knew what it was to walk in the calling that he has on my life. I knew all of that, but yet and still I ran. Yet and still I was relying on different things in life to be able to keep my focus off of God. And once I got here and God has positioned me here in a place now that I can talk to him, now that I can hear him more, now that I can be able to walk in authority, now I can be able to do the calling that he has called on my life. Now, how many, th- how many times in your life have you been in that situation? How many times have you found yourself on your knees crying, giving him all that you have because you have lost something or because you have been put in a position or placed in a position where there is nowhere else to go? I truly, and, and, and this could be my own theological error or whatever, I truly believe that God does not cause things to happen to you to get your attention, but I truly believe that he will use what you're going through to get you where he needs you to be. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. A lot of us take that crooked road and go all different kinds of ways, but we still will end up right where he wants you to be right where he wants you to be. God has blessed my family tremendously since we've been here in Texas, and I wouldn't change it for the world. The one thing that I would change is why didn't I do it sooner? Why didn't I come sooner to to what he has for me? Yeah, you're going to have trials. You're going to have things in life that are going to, that because we are in a fallen and broken world, there are things that's going to get you knocked off track. But when you are grounded where you need to be, that's where he's going to be able to talk to you and guide you. So it's a new day. Actually, I'm going to go back up. It says, after true repentance, God's blessings flow. Now, that, and, and, and the key word in that is true repentance. True re- repentance. A lot of times we go crawling to God, you know, snot and tears and everything else coming out because we want what we lost. We want what we lost, not what he wants to give us. That's where true repentance come in at. That's where we need to make sure that what we are getting down on our knees for, coming to the Father for, he knows. We have to make sure that we know. We have to make sure that we are being, being able to do those things. And God has restored, he, he has he's truly restored us. And we're going to have a testimony here in a little bit, and I want you to really grab hold to it. It says, God promised to be zealous in the land by recalling the locals, and the people will know nothing but plenty. Nothing but plenty. And I truly believe God has, has given me nothing but plenty. I'm not lacking for anything. I'm not, I can't say I'm not wanting for anything. I'm not lacking for anything. But I, I truly believe God has given me above and beyond what I could ever even imagine of having here in Texas. I, I, tr- I, I looked at my wife. I told her, I said, this is home, baby. This is where God has called us to be all, all along. All along. So it says, a new day, Joel 2, 28 and 29. 
It said, it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female service in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So Joel is indicating that these blessings would be fully realized on the great day of the Lord, even though the children of Abraham had made themselves enemies of the Lord and as deserving his judgment. The faithful remnant would repent and be rescued from the wrath of God that they deserve. Now I want you to understand too is in the Old Testament when God used different devastations, different plagues, different things to get the attention of his people for them to turn back from their ways and come in and repent. Now for them to come in and repent, that repentance only lasted for a certain amount of time with the sacrifice that they gave for that because they were still under the law. But thank God that we live in the new covenant. We live where Jesus died on the cross for us and was able to save us from our sins. And when we repent, we are now covered under the blood and covered under the sacrifice of what Jesus did for us on the cross more than 2,000 years ago. And, and, and we don't have to continue to do the sacrifices once a year when, when they were doing it. Uh, we don't have to continue to uh, be able to live under the law uh, of what the, the covenant of Moses that was, that was made. We're now under the new covenant of grace. We're now under the new covenant that Jesus died that, because he died on the cross for us. It says, wherever the Old Testament speaks of judgment for sin, whether individual or national sin, the robber of Jesus Christ is foreshadowed. The prophets of the Old Testament continually warned Israel to repent, but even when they did, their repentance was limited to law-keeping and works. Their temple sacrifices were but a shadow of the ultimate sacrifice once offered for all time, which would come at the cross. Joel tells us that God's ultimate judgment, which falls on the day of the Lord, would be great and terrible. Who can endure it? The answer to that is, to that, we, on our own, can never endure such a moment, but if we have placed our faith in Christ for the atonement of our sins, we have nothing to fear for the day of judgment. Absolutely nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. And going back to what it says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I will be able to, you will be, your sons and daughters will, will, will have dreams and prophesy and all, and all those things that the Spirit of God is now that's, that's dwelling in each one of us is now available to each one of us. You know, back in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come on different prophets. The Spirit of God would come on different priests, or come on different people. And it was not something that, that everybody was able to enjoy together. You know, I can tell you something that was pretty cool this weekend. Um, you know, with the opportunity of my four brothers, I'll for the first time was able to preach at my parents' church uh, for an anniversary service. And um, the way the Spirit of God lined things up, my baby brother's message, I was able to build on his message for what God has gave me. My other brother's message was built on both of ours. And then my last brother's message was the final package to it. We hadn't talked. We hadn't done anything like that. We just ba was led by what God wanted to, to have us to, to give to the people. And to, but to really get confirmation how God uses each person differently to come to the same conclusion, it is amazing. 
walking in the Spirit of God, living in the Spirit of God, honoring the Spirit of God, being used by the Spirit of God. There's restoration in our life because the Holy Spirit dwells inside each and every one of us. Inside each and every one of us. Now, I, won't, I would like my brother Thomas to come up here. And I want to give a quick testimony about the swarming locusts, about restoration, and about the Spirit of God dwelling inside of him. Amen. Take your time. I'm Thomas Miner, and uh, set it up. I grew up really poor. We didn't have anything. Trading shoes. Even my brother got feet got too big for shoes, and I got. That's how poor we were. So the pursuit of finding things in life began consuming. I would, I would do anything to, to earn money so I would have nice things. And uh, I finally got a job that money wasn't an option. As long as I was willing to put in the hours, the money was there. All the hours I started out 50, 60 hours a week. And I got 70, 80, 90 hours a week. Phone would ring as long as I get up and go. The money was there. Previously, that I, I started, I got my family in the church, tried to be the spirit with them. Family. We were going to church, then this job started getting in the way. I'd go to church on Sunday, I'd go to work on Sunday morning, I even miss Thanksgiving dinner to go to work. But in 2008, I decided I, I needed some help to do these hours, to work these hours. I turned to drugs. Yeah. July 2008, it all blew up in my face. I lost everything. I went to jail. Put my family in a horrible situation. Wife didn't work. I provided everything. I was the automatic had to go to work. Through through a church, a good church family, some of them are still sitting there. They made it through. They're sitting in that county jail over there. Like I said, sometimes you gotta hit the bottom, look up. I cried out to God, you know. Why me? Like he had done something. <laughs> <laughs> like it wasn't me. And uh, so then I, as I sat there and I thought and I prayed and I prayed, and I'm, he's like, yeah, but you're blaming me for what you did. Mm. So, I, so all I thought about was, my, what's my family going to do? They don't, they don't have anything. And one night in my sleep, God came to me and said, put me first. And I will provide. That's right. <laughs> so the first thing I asked the Lord was, Bible for my wife. Of course, glad she brought it. And I just, I studied and I read and I studied and I read and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for five years. The whole time I was growing, she was out here growing. Before I went to prison, she was a very passive woman. What I wanted is what I got. Whatever I wanted to do, she never said anything to me. She was growing in many ways. <laughs> and when, I, when I was released in 2014, she was a whole different woman when I left. She was a woman who was going to make me toe the line. If you say it, you're going to do it. That's right. So, so I pretty much lost everything when I went to prison. She, through real hard work and, and the grace of God, she was able to hold on to our own. But nothing else, you know, was, she was bare bones when I, when I came home. And uh, but when I came home, I was I had my I had my sight set different. I wasn't chasing a daughter anymore. 
I was chasing pleasure from God. Yeah. I wanted God to be pleased yeah. with me. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Not just what I said, but what I did in all things. So now, almost four years later, I got a job. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It doesn't tell me I gotta go to work on something. That out the pay me pretty good. <laughs> I got a family that loves me, that supports me. Emotionally, I'm in a better place than I've ever been in my life. Amen. Spiritually, I'm in a better place than I've ever been. And financially, I'm in a better place than I've ever been in my life. God's opened some doors for me. Amen. Because my wife and I honor God in all we do. I recently entered the real estate market in Baltimore right now. And they gave me an opportunity to be this guy. And they're a captive audience. I own the house they live in. <laughs> but now I just, you know, I just, I just I can't thank God enough for, for the blessings in my life, for the restoration in my life. Like you said, when a, when true repentance comes, the blessings will blow. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. The first thing, first thing we have to really, when, when we're in these situations, the first thing we really got to uh, have a check in our spirit. What are we honoring? Who are we honoring? Who has more importance or more priority than your Savior. God will, will, will perform a rest restoration in your life. First thing we have to do is stop blaming him. He didn't, he didn't put you in that position. Pastor Joe says it <laughs> well. Heaven is not that broke where God has to be able to persuade you to do something that he wants you to do. There's a calling and a destiny on each and every one of us. Our alignment needs to be, be correct in that way where we can go where he has called us to go. There's things that only you can do. There's things that people that only you can reach. We were put here for that purpose. And what's amazing to me is we were not all meant to go to hell. The Bible actually says that hell was expanded. Because we were not meant to be there. But our job as Christians and our job as believers is to go and reach the world. It's to go and spread the love of Jesus so they can see Christ in us. If you all can stand with me. If there's anything in your life where you find yourself, where you, you find yourself blaming God. God, why me? God, why am I in this predicament? God, why did you take my kids? Why did you take my job? Why did you take my husband? Why, God? It's okay to ask why. But we can't blame him for the, the, the situation or the mess that we're in. But what we can do is focus on him. Draw closer to him. Where we can hear his voice. He has a plan for you.
Father, in the name of